0: Welcome to Season 11.5 of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Heart Defects Around the Globe, and we have a great show for you today. This is part of our Spotlight series. We are presenting shows in both English and a foreign language. I will be the host for the English version of today's show, and Marta Montero will be the guest host for this same show with our same guest, but all in Spanish. So you're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be fabulous. Today's program is Mom on a Mission, and our guest is Jennifer Aguina. Jennifer Aguina, originally from Miami, is a first-generation American with parents from Chile and Colombia. She is the mother of 10-year-old Lucas, who was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, or HLHS. Lucas had his first open heart surgery at three days of age, and since then, she has been involved in a congenital heart defect community. She works at Camden Property Trust as a leasing consultant in Orlando, Florida, where she resides with her family. The family volunteers and advocates together on both local and national levels, such as attending the Congenital Heart Legislative Conference in Washington, D.C., She is also the Vice President of the Pediatric Congenital Heart Association Florida Chapter. In Segment 1, we'll talk with Jennifer about her early days with Lucas. In the second segment, we'll talk to her about her family's involvement with local advocacy efforts. And in the final segment, Jennifer will tell us about her family's national advocacy efforts. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Jennifer.
1: Thank you for having me on your show, Anna. It is a pleasure for me to be here today.
0: Well, I'm excited to meet another HLHS mom because, as you may know, my son also was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, and he's 23 years old. Let's start out by having you tell us about when you found out about Lucas's hypoplastic left heart syndrome diagnosis.
1: Well, at the 24th week of my pregnancy via routine ultrasound, we found out that Lucas would be born with a CHD. It was a very difficult decision at that time in our lives as we were given the option to terminate our pregnancy. It was very hard. This was about 10 years ago. Back then, the birth defect was a little bit complicated than it is today. Doctors informed us that the best thing that we could do was terminate our
0: pregnancy, and it was very scary. Um, When you said doctors recommended that you terminate, was that pediatricians, obstetricians, or cardiologists?
1: Obstetricians.
0: Okay. And that has been something that I hear over and over again, because the obstetricians just don't know how far we've come. And 10 years ago, the results weren't as good as they are today. So exactly.
1: Yes. 10 years ago, uh, we were actually, it was positive. It was something for them to tell us the best thing for you to do is to terminate that pregnancy. Uh, It's going to be really hard to um, have a child with a congenital heart defect. And we were very fortunate enough to be with a team um, that we were able to meet at our local hospital. The doctors, our obstetrician was skeptical and our, cardiologists that we met at the hospital, the team was just amazing. Uh, We were able to connect with them. They were able to educate us and help us make the right decision of choosing life and moving forward with the surgeries for our son.
0: I'm so proud of you that you were able to do that when Alex's heart defect was diagnosed. Even though I had three ultrasounds, because it was 23 years ago, actually 24 when Mm -hmm. I was pregnant, um, we never detected that there was a heart defect. And so I thought I was having a perfectly healthy baby and was quite shocked when Uh, I kept saying something was wrong. My husband kept saying something was wrong, and they told us not to compare him to our older son, and it wasn't until he had his second month while baby checkup when he was in congestive heart failure and near death that they finally believed us and said, yes, something is wrong. We can't see him here, and the next thing I knew, we were in an ambulance going to San Antonio, and all the doctors told us that we should just choose compassionate care. So I imagine had I found out in utero, they would have also encouraged abortion. Are you for religious reasons against that? Or was this just something that you and your husband wouldn't have chosen anyway?
1: I share my story a lot. I've been sharing it for the past decade. One of the most impactful things is that we almost made that decision to terminate. And the reason we made that decision to terminate that we thought not made it, but that we thought of terminating our pregnancy because of the medical team, everyone that would tell us it was very scary. You know, you go into a doctor's office and you're going to believe what they tell you, especially in that shock and in that the, the way that you're feeling at that moment. I was a mom. I had older children. And just the reality of having a baby born with something that I had no clue about mm-hmm. was just very scary. Sure. I think about it now and I think about maybe it was selfish at the moment of myself, but it was just what I was encouraged to do and what they thought was the best option. And as a mom, I was thinking of my other children. And I'm just so blessed that we were able To meet a team that was able to educate us and teach us and explain to us what CHD was about, for us to make that conscious decision of deciding to, okay, let's go with these palliative surgeries. Let's try and let's see what we could do. And we made our appointment. We were ready to go through the whole termination process. And I never will forget that we just stopped in our tracks totally. And we said, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's try it. Let's figure it out together and let's see what we could do. And we did. We totally changed our minds from one moment to the other. We decided to choose life.
0: I'm so glad that things have worked out well for you and for Lucas. That's a beautiful story. And I know that Lucas had his first surgery at three days of age. How old was he when he had his second? He had his
1: second surgery when he was a week before his four months. It was oh, considered really wow. early. Yeah. Yeah. It that's was really considered early. very early. He truly did amazing and we were home within a week.
0: Wow. That's yes. fabulous.
1: Yes. Okay. When did he have his fontan? Well, he had his fontan when he was two and a half years old. Okay. By far, that was the hardest one for us. He did have a lot of complications. It's like I tell ourselves we went through the two easy ones and then we had to have the tough one. It was very tough on him. He was two and a half years old we actually were told that we would be home by the holidays it was about mid-december in 2009 he was two and a half years old and they told us hey you guys should be home by christmas you should be able to spend christmas home that was not what happened we ended up being in the hospital over a month wow things got very hard they got very complicated there was times where they told us that there was nothing that they can do he was retaining so much fluid but miracles did happen that Christmas. They did amazing things at our center. They were able to do what they could, and they were able to save him, and they were able to definitely dry up everything that was going on and help him out. took us a little long haul, but he made it through, and we came home. <laughs> Wonderful. That's we came home fabulous. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart, and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy.
0: My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go.
1: Whatever strife
2: or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always
0: healed by humor.
2: Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. The Heart of a Father and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
0: Before the break, Jennifer was telling us about her son Lucas and the surgeries that he had for his congenital heart defect called hypoplastic left heart syndrome, or HLHS. But now I want us to talk about your advocacy efforts. It sounds to me like you started advocating really early if you considered termination and then decided to put the brakes on that. It sounds to me like that's when your advocacy efforts first started, But I also know that you are part of the Pediatric Congenital Heart Association. So why don't you tell us what role you play in that and how you're being an advocate with that organization?
1: Yes. The Pediatric Congenital Heart Association is a national organization. They partner and they collaborate with patients, with parents, with providers, and with other organizations to help improve the quality and the outcomes through CHD education, research, and awareness throughout our country. I was invited to a legislative conference a few years ago, and that's how I became involved. They have reached out and they have chapters now throughout the United States, and we lead the Florida chapter. We are very involved in our local efforts here to do everything that we can with our local chapter. We are in Central Florida, South Florida, and hopefully in the other areas of Florida soon as well.
0: That's wonderful. I remember when that organization was first getting started and I was able to give some feedback to them, but it blossomed. It grew so big. And then my organization, Hearts Unite the Globe, got its 5013C status. So I had to stop helping. And I was oh. sad that I had to stop helping, but you know, there's only so much of a person that can go around. So I <laughs> I just had to promote them through my website, which I have a link to that organization on my website and encourage people who wanted to be involved with that. But I am so pleased to see that now they even have chapters. That's wonderful. And it gives you a chance to do something on a local level that can impact the whole world still because they have a very good website. I'm very impressed with the social media that they have been doing. It's absolutely fabulous. Why don't you tell us about some of the local activities that you take part in?
1: Well, we volunteer directly with our local hospitals here. We have direct contact with our families. We do meet and greets. We share gift bags with them. We do a lot of different activities for the families that are involved with each hospital. We do it as a family. We have volunteers throughout the state as well for the local hospitals, And it's just providing education and awareness to the hospitals themselves, as well as the doctors and the team there. They are also able to learn what we do. And just together, we're able to provide back to the families that have been affected by CHD.
0: I lived in Florida for two years while my husband was in grad school. And one of the things that I saw was that There were a lot of people in Florida who needed extra help. So I'm sure what you are doing is really, really important. Do you have materials that you provide in Spanish?
1: We do not have materials right now that we provide in Spanish. We are working on them. I am bilingual, and in Florida we do have a lot of people who do speak Spanish, of course. We do have a lot of volunteers who are bilingual and we're able to communicate with these families and provide them the necessary things that they need. I do hope and I am positive that soon we will be launching something that does have Spanish in it.
0: That would be wonderful. I live in Texas now. My husband graduated a long time ago. We moved back home to Texas, and that's another problem that we have here in Texas as well. We have a lot of Spanish-speaking people, and you and I both know how difficult it was being told that our child has a congenital heart defect, especially something like HLHS, which is really a critical congenital heart defect where surgery is required that first year of life, and in our case, the first Days, weeks, months of life in order for them to survive. Can you imagine being told that in a language that's not your first? That would be even harder, or in a language where you find it confusing. Because, like you were saying, at first you are in such shock when you're given a diagnosis that is that dismal to then not even really understand or have resources. That's got to make it a lot harder. Yes. Do you have support groups that meet on a regular basis where parents can talk with one another?
1: Yes, we do. We have support groups at our local hospitals. We do have people come from the cardiac unit to be able to come downstairs and connect directly with us. We are families, yes, who have been there and they're able to just walk downstairs from the unit and immediately engage and meet other families. So that's very, very important. And other chapters are doing other things as well throughout the United States. And they're having not only meet and greets, coffee talk, sharing so many knowledge and, and literature and so many activities that they're doing for the families that it's truly amazing.
0: Right. I helped start a support group in Texas many, many years ago called Milagros. And one of the things that we discovered was that there's a certain amount of PTSD that goes on with the kids and with the parents when it comes to hospitals. Not all people, but there were a certain number and people told us that they didn't necessarily want to get together even for support at the hospital because just walking in the doors and smelling those smells and seeing the familiar sights that were associated with something that was so painful just brought all of that back. To them. So the idea of having coffee somewhere else or a meet and greet at the playground, that sounds like a really great way to help those families who are dealing with PTSD. Have you dealt with anything like that?
1: Yes, definitely. We get that a lot, especially same feeling that you have, you know, you walk into that hospital, you wash your hands in that bathroom and every memory, just the soap smells, the hallways, everything. And it's just tough to have to walk in there, Uh, especially families who've been through so much, families who've lost their children, and we do get it a lot. So it is important to meet out of the hospital to meet somewhere else where you can have a conversation and connect with other people and know, like Lucas and my family, we love to connect when we go to the legislative conference in Washington, D.C. and we're able to meet other families, just being outside of that hospital and doctors and everything. It's so empowering. It's very empowering.
0: It is. I love it that you use that word because I agree 100%. It's very empowering to meet with other people, to share some success stories and hear other people's success stories. It makes you feel... Like, okay, we can handle this because I'm sure that all of us, I know I have went through days where I wondered if we were going to survive it, and it's such a scary thing. That's one of the reasons I do the podcast, because I want people to know they're not alone. And meeting in support groups like this, going to the legislative conferences, meeting at other parent conferences or even professional conferences, that gives us another way to empower ourselves. It sounds to me like your family is completely behind you. Tell me about your other children, how old they are, and what they're doing to help out.
1: My oldest daughter is 21 years old. She is about to graduate college within a year. She does a lot of volunteer work as well with the local. Children's Miracle Network, stuff that is going on here, Ronald McDonald House. She's very involved in giving back, and that's something that she learned through her childhood, through everything that we went through. I have another son. He is 15 years old, and he is in the first year of high school, and he is also involved in volunteering. He does a lot of stuff with me with PCHA. He attends a legislative conference as well. He loves to be involved and share his brother's story Because it is, like I said, very empowering for our family. It's something that we've been able to do together. My husband also accompanies us. And as a family, we're able to give back because this is not only sharing Lucas's story, but it's our entire family story. It's something that affected all of us in one way or another. We were all affected by CHD. To do this together and to be able to give back to other families and show them that it's going to be okay, that they're not alone and they can get through it, it makes our family stronger.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And I took Joey, my older son, to Washington, D.C., to that same legislative conference that they have, and I found the exact same thing. Joey sharing his story as a sibling was very empowering for him, and the people that we met with were really interested to hear what his experience was as a sibling of a child with a congenital heart defect. The more families like ours go to Washington, D.C., and even to our state legislatures and share our stories, the more they will understand that they need to fund things like the Congenital Heart Futures Act and any other future legislation that comes up that will have a positive impact on our community. So I think that's fabulous that you're getting everyone in your family involved. How does Lucas feel about it as a 10-year-old? Is he okay with sharing his story?
1: He loves to share his story. He loves to be a voice for other children. He's been on the local news sharing his story. He actually, last year in D.C., when they first passed the bill, we were able to attend the gallery. And he was just excited that his name and his story was shared at the gallery and going to be in the books forever. (laughs) He is very excited. Yes, he loves to do this.
0: That's wonderful. Look at what you're doing. You're promoting your kids to be really strong advocates, not only for themselves, but for the entire heart defect community. Thank you. Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. Jennifer, in the last segment, we were talking about your advocacy efforts at the local level. But now I want to talk about your advocacy efforts at the national level. And we did talk about that a little bit when we were talking about Washington, D.C. But let's talk about that even a little bit more. When did you attend the Congenital Heart Legislative Conference? And what was the most important lesson that you learned from that experience?
1: I first attended the Congenital Heart Legislative Conference in 2015 with my husband, Carlos. It's funny because I came home one day and I told him we are going to Washington, D.C. to a legislative conference. Of course, he thought that I was out of my mind, (laughs) but but he supported me every step of the way. We have been hooked and we have been attending every year since back then. And we've even taken our family with us. Wow. Yeah, the kids have attended with us. Yes, yes. And the most important thing that I've learned by attending this conference, to be honest with you, is that I have a voice Mm -hmm. and that educating myself and sharing my stories with others makes such a huge impact. I am forever grateful that I made that decision that day and I told my husband, let's go to this conference because we have been hooked ever since.
0: I love that. That is so wonderful. And you're used to a very tropical climate and you are brave enough to go and it seems like it's always snowing and unbelievably cold when they have their conference. (laughs) It
1: definitely is. It definitely is. It's something totally out of my nature and totally out of my way, but so worth it.
0: I think it's great that you've shown the kids that this is something that you value and that you feel that they have a voice.
1: Yes, definitely. So important for us to have a voice.
0: Now, when I went to the legislative conference, they actually had people from the Adult Congenital Heart Association who met with everybody and they yes. gave us tips on what to say. And we broke into groups. Is that what they're still doing? Do they break you into groups and do you go meet with your local congressman?
1: Yes. That's exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. We break up into states and we have our own group, which mm-hmm. our Florida group is amazing. <laughs> we visit and we share a story We basically advocate for surveillance, for research and for awareness at a national level. We request that our leaders help co-sponsor the Congenital Heart Futures Reauthorization Act and that they join the Congressional Congenital Heart Caucus and support the CHD appropriations request for the CGC and for the NIH. So it sounds very political and it sounds like we're very involved. Like you said earlier, we are split up into groups they teach us, they educate us. And again, they empower us to be that voice and to be able to share our story. It's not hard at all. My son Lucas does it and he is the age that he is. And he goes out there and he shares his story.
0: Right. And if he's 10 now, then he was eight. So if it's something that an eight-year-old can do, then anybody can do this. Mm -hmm. What I loved was they also provided a folder with information.
1: Most definitely.
0: They taught us about the terminology that would be used because most of us had never done any kind of lobbying on that kind of level. It seems weird to consider ourselves lobbyists, but that's really what we are when we go to Washington, D.C. And the other thing that I liked was that they told us specifically what we should ask for and why we needed to ask for that. So you just threw out a whole lot of terms that maybe somebody who's listening to this program and hasn't been to Washington, D.C. may not know what those terms are, like you talked about the CDC. And for those of you who are listening who may not know, that's the Centers for disease control. You talked about the NIH, that's the National Institute of Health, and those are governmental institutions that we have here in the United States that govern what's done nationally and they're very very important. They need to know that congenital heart defects are the number one birth defect. There are 1.5 million adults with congenital heart defects in the United States today. Wow. That's huge.
1: Wow. Yes, yes, definitely huge.
0: And we have finally gotten to the point where the number of adults exceeds the number of children who are born with heart defects every year. So we're talking about an awful lot of people we need to have our legislators aware of the numbers. And When we parents come and when we bring our husbands and wives and children, then we descend upon them and they can actually see our numbers. So it really does make a difference. I'm proud of everybody who comes together and does that because let's face it, it costs us money. Nobody reimburses us for doing this. Yes. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, bring shoes that you can walk in for a long time.
1: Most definitely.
0: (laughs) Yes. Do not bring your high heels, ladies. You will be crying at the end of the day. There is a lot of walking to be done when you go to Washington, D.C., but it really is an unbelievable experience. It's something that you'll never forget. Jennifer, what do you advocate for the congenital heart defect community? You threw out a lot of things really, really fast, but can you say it a little bit slower and explain to our listeners what all those phrases mean?
1: Yes, definitely. We advocate for surveillance we advocate for research and for awareness at a national level. Surveillance is just numbers, getting us information, what the hospitals are doing, what they're not doing, a lot of transparency. Research is so important, learning new things, coming up with technology. Technology is changing every single day and just advocating for more of it. We need more research. We need more people to study what adults are going through right now, what are children who are going through these surgeries, what is the outcome for a future for our children and awareness, letting people know that we are out here, that we are so many of us, and that we are continuing to be born and that we're living with CHD.
0: Longer and longer. Just like David, exactly. who is my producer, he's in his yes. fifth decade living with a heart defect. And as these people age, new problems crop up and Without that research, you're right, we're going to run into problems. And we already are having certain issues that some research could definitely help us to help them have a better quality of life. What a lot of people don't know is... That the dollars that go into research right now come from that NIH that you were talking about, the National Institute for Health. They provide grants to researchers. The American Heart Association is working with the Children's Heart Foundation. Those are the two big, big organizations right now that have actually joined forces, and they are providing dollars for research as well. But it's not enough. There are so many researchers out there who have put forth those proposals to do research and the money isn't there and those research projects go undone. We can't have that happening. So I love what you're doing and we need to promote even more awareness so that even more research will happen so people like David and Lucas and my son, Alex, can continue to live a quality life and can grow up to be old men telling stories about, I remember when.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs)
0: Well, I can't believe how much time has gone by already. I only have time for one more question. Jennifer, what advice do you have for families interested in becoming involved in advocacy efforts themselves?
1: The best advice that I have is just to go for it. Do it. Take every opportunity that you can To share your story, to be involved at a local level, at a national level, try to find out on the internet, anywhere that you can, your local hospital, what is there that you can do? There is always something that you can do more. It might seem scary when you have that opportunity to share your story, but it's such a rewarding opportunity to be able to make an impact and to be able to share your story. It's kind of like a healing process for people. And my advice is just to talk about it, to let it all out, because it becomes something positive and it becomes something strong that the entire family or yourself can just give back to the community and empowers you as well.
0: I love that answer. That was so fabulous. Thank you so much for coming on the program today, Jennifer.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I truly, truly enjoyed it.
0: Well, great. That does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week to listen to this program in Spanish. This program will be featured in Spanish with Jennifer Iguina and with Marta Montero as our guest host. You'll also be able to find that on our website www.hug-podcastnetwork.com we have a multilingual page and you can find our other programs that we have in other languages on that page if you just go to the heart to heart with anna link on that page then you'll hear all the shows in english don't forget friends to leave a review of our program on itunes that would be a way for us to get a rating and other people can then find our show more easily until then friends remember You are not alone.
2: This program is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network.